almost the end to devotional. This is lesson number three for Monday, December 17. So we are off to a great start um, looking at things that are extremely practical and that affect or call me to examine myself and my relationship to the church, the visible church, the institutional church, you know, the, the church local, locally. Um, Monday's lesson is entitled Servant Leadership, which to some of us may seem self-contradictory, but it's actually um, very consistent throughout the scriptures. And like I, we said earlier, right, what makes someone of, uh, of a leader, you know, in the world, it's their power. How much stock do they own in the company? Who's the, what's their last name? <laughs> Um, I think I told you last week I was reading a list of the top 50th, the top 50 wealthiest billionaires in the world. And about four or five of them, they have inherited the wealth from their parents or grandparents. So that, that's what gives power and makes someone a leader. The amount of money, education, last name, etc. But Jesus says, no, it's reversal in my kingdom. Um, it's the one that serves the most. And so we, we looked at the body. And for me, of course, it's beautiful. I love how God has written these parables, these laws within ourselves. Um, the lungs and the heart, the immune system, the kidneys, the liver. These are vital organs, not because they're the prettiest or the biggest, but because of how they continually serve the body. There's not a moment in the day in which the heart is not beating, is not serving the rest of the organism, the rest of the body. So with that thought in mind, right, how, how can I use that or apply that to me um, as a leader? I need to be honest, different cultures carry different understandings and it dominates. You may agree, you may consent mentally to something, but in the practice, we default to what we've been raised to do and we sometimes do it without even realizing. Sometimes we teach something and practice the very opposite and we are oblivious to the fact that we're doing that until the Spirit of God awakens us to that reality and how we deal with leadership. You know, I'll give you the example of my own culture, right? In my culture, the Spanish culture, males dominate. In the family, the father rules the house. Um, his, his word is the last word and he makes all the, the decisions and he's always right. And that kind of a mindset actually undermines uh, for me personally how much respect and love I would have for that kind of a father a father that because he feels he never makes mistakes he never needs to apologize and because there's never an apology wounds are made tempers are lost and because there's no pursuit of reconciliation those wounds remained for decades so culture needs to be confronted in a redemptive way through the gospel and you and I need to be honest enough with ourselves and open enough to our, within ourselves to allow the Spirit of God to search us. When I think of leadership, what comes to mind? And I, I asked myself that question. When I think of a pastor, um, what do I expect from my members? Um, and I, I've seen different responses depending on the culture. When I've been around in cultures that are mainly Asian, um, it's very tempting, and I'm being honest with you, to receive the high level of respect and um, deference that comes with their view of what a pastor is. Same thing in the Spanish church. 
because of the deep Catholic heritage that comes from, from most of South America, there is this understanding or this expectation of treatment, of deference to the pastor. And by no means am I saying we ought to disrespect pastors or uh, at the other extreme, idolize pastors. But a lot of how we, I relate as a pastor to leadership, I had to rewrite that. And instead of, you know, I'll give you a, a perfect example that where I wrestle with this uh, because I was treated as a pastor, even though I wasn't a pastor when I was church planting in Columbus, Ohio. When it came to potluck, they wanted me to pray for the food. And I thought, why me? <laughs> why can't anyone else pray? Because they began to treat me as the pastor. And of course, I would get to go first in line. And if I, if I didn't get to go first in line, someone would serve me food, but they wouldn't serve other people. And I, and I believe it was God's spirit. It's definitely no virtue inside of me, but it was the spirit of God making me uncomfortable with those approaches. And I was very gentle. And I know that they were trying to be respectful, but for me, it felt uh, unfair. There's other brothers and sisters here that will not get that lasagna that Sister So-and-So brought, but I got a, a, a nice chunk size of it um, that someone got for me. I didn't even have to get in line. I was visiting with people. I was way more interested in making sure that the new visitor would say yes to the invitation to have Bible studies with me. I didn't care about the lasagna. It was delicious. But to me, whether I got to eat it or not was not the real issue or the, the real priority. Um, but there were brothers there that that was the best meal that they would probably have all week long. So for me, it was like, man, Lord, how do you navigate this? How do you navigate how people relate to the idea of pastor? And my conclusion is I can't change how people think. I can definitely seek to influence. All I can do is change mine. And hopefully through how I what I expect from people to, to, um, how to relate to me as a pastor will hopefully create enough of an influence that it can change and become more gospel-focused, more Christ-focused in the way they look at pastors. But chances are, if you're listening to this, you're not a pastor. You are a church member, and chances are you may have an office, a ministry in the church. So when I say the word elder... What do you think of when it comes to uh, hierarchy, authority? How do you view elder? And don't allow yourself to answer the correct answer, the quote-unquote answer. Uh, ask God to help you be honest with yourself. How do you relate to that word elder and deacon, deaconess, personal ministries director, Sabbath school teacher, treasurer, etc., etc.? greeter I do believe that to some degree in unintentionally I'm going to say it you know I think it is unintentional at least we do place a level of hierarchy uh, one of my professors actually he's the one that wrote next quarter Sabbath school lesson Dr. Stefanovic Ranko Stefanovic in one of the classes that he taught for the undergrad he said something that really spun my wheels in my head. You know, when it comes to nominating committee, he said, we will spend a lot of time thinking about who will be an elder and who will be deacon. And he said, That's, we should. 
But he says, when it comes to something like a deacon, we just put anyone there that will say yes. We think deacon is just, you know, an optional thing. You know, if someone says yes, you know, it's just passing the bulletin, giving the bulletin when people come. And it's like, that is not a very practical way, uh, efficient way of looking at the greeter. The greeter is going to be the face, the first impression that your church makes on anyone stepping in your church. Who do you want making your first impression? What is the most important? Going back to the illustration, right? So is the pastor the vital organ of the church? How would you answer that? Are the elders the vital organs of the church? Like we said, we're not in, it's not like we're the brain. You know, we can have heart transplants, uh, liver transplants, etc. Um, but we're vital. Well, are we vital? What are those vital organs in the church? Maybe, as far as church ministries are concerned, it doesn't really have to do with what you are, but how you carry that ministry out. Um, I, I put those verses, uh, that, that um, qualifier, right? The lungs, the heart, they, they serve the body 24-7. How, how do, I mean, it doesn't mean that I become a workaholic, then I neglect my family. But I want to share with you a verse, some verses actually. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, Paul's authority is being put to question. And he feels the struggle. How can I assert myself without boasting? And he's having a difficult time doing that. He says that he's being forced to be a fool <laughs> by doing this boasting. And he begins in verse 24 by saying, you know, five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent the night in the cold. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from, danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in the country, from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's the list, right? And you think this is the, the hard part of being an apostle, being the Apostle Paul. But verse 28. But besides these things, as in like, but these, these are not the real heavy things in my life. 28 says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I think this is what makes an organ vital. You can be a greeter and carry daily the burden of your church. You can be a greeter that the visitors that came, you will write their names down on a piece of paper and you will entreat and intercede for them. You, 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 will, you will carry, you will allow yourself, like Paul says here, to face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This is not external pressure. These are burdens convictions, desires he has for the church. And it's not because he's an apostle. If Paul was a deacon, if Paul was a Sabbath school teacher, if Paul was the hospitality director, if Paul was whatever ministry you would plug him in, I can guarantee you he would say the same thing. Because in the body of Christ, it's not the position that makes you vital, is how much, how passionately you serve your concern is it a 
four seven are you a sabbath school teacher only the sabbath that you teach is that the only time you really study the lesson or are you truly studying it every time even if it's not your time to turn your, your turn to teach in case something happens in case someone is not able to teach do you only prepare sermons when it's your turn to preach i know i did but i was rebuked by that attitude because when I would study for sermons, I studied very different than when I didn't have to. And God confronted me with that. That's like you only take a shower when you're going to go on a date. <laughs> and that won't fly when you're married. <laughs> you need to take a shower daily. You can't tell your wife, well, honey, it's been four days since I've taken a shower because we're going to go out next Tuesday and of next week. And right now is Wednesday. Your wife's going to say no. Then you're going to not even sleep in the couch. You're sleep outside in the yard. I don't even want you making stinky my sofa or the car, right? You don't only shower when you're going to go out with your loved one or your dating person or your wife or your husband. And so you shouldn't only study when you have to teach or preach. Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out of season 24 7 constant always thinking about the churches daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches that's what makes an organ vital and I can think of someone in Columbus Ohio that that modeled that for me Carmen Santos Carmen Santos and her husband well her husband did a lot of painting and remodeling but Carmen Santos cleaned houses for a living very dedicated, very passionate. And her gift was hospitality. And she loved to give Bible studies. And she was, you, you spoke with Carmen for five minutes. And in, after five minutes, she would express some burden, some prayer, some desire, some vision for the church. It was her. God used her to talk to Pastor Torres to request for a Spanish evangelist to come to Columbus, Ohio because ASI was going to have only English-speaking meetings. And she asked because she carried daily. She didn't say, well, hopefully, let's pray about it. She stepped out in faith and made it happen. And because Carmen Santos did that back in 2001, there was at that time only a few uh, Hispanic Adventist believers meeting in one schoolroom, in a high school classroom, about 20 of them. Today, there are over seven churches because of that. Spreading, spreading, spreading. Because someone was ready in season and out of season. So I cannot tell you or say to you, you need to become a vital organ by becoming a pastor. Or you need to become a vital organ by becoming an elder. Only when you are an elder will you be considered a vital organ. No, I could be a pastor and not be vital. Not make a difference. If I'm there, well, he's here. And if I'm not, well, he's not. And it's irrelevant whether I am there or not. You know, as a pastor, this challenges me. It's not that I, I want the church to be church dependent, but that I become a church servant. And that applies for every ministry. If you're a Sabbath school teacher of the children, did you carry the burden of these children, their salvation, their spiritual growth, how can I make, make it better? How can I teach better? What other things can I bring into the picture? That was Carmen Santos. Out of her own pocket, she would buy these uh, 
figurines and booklets and little things to give to the children. She, she out of her own pocket, she wouldn't go to the church. She knew the, the little, that little group had nothing. So out of her own pocket, she would continually draw from her. She would clean extra houses to have money for special potlucks or to make sure that every Sabbath she could bring someone home and have sufficient food to invite people. That's a vital organ. It, it's not what we have made of the hierarchy of the church. What Jesus said, you want to be the, the highest? You have to serve the most. What kind of a leader do you want to be?